All right, guys, Lowell's, and we have a returning guest today. It's none other than Nerdy Tenor, fresh off of his big DFS Hockey Championship win. We'll hear what he has been up to, maybe some thoughts on our sports betting conversation yesterday, maybe a little March Madness, maybe a little recap of the NBA uh, contest that Brian was in last week, that petty theft took down, all of that today on Lowell's. I, does he think... I it's think he thinks goat. this. He thinks this is a goat. Vegas Dave thinks this is a goat. Hot naked girls doing yoga. What? Why don't you just win like a man? Random.org. Type <laughs> in one for yes, two for no. Let the DFS guys pick for you. And I'm absolutely begging you not to do bus. <laughs> Please don't do bus. Mr. Nerdy Tenor, broadcasting live from your post-apocalyptic bunker with a ping-pong table. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing good. I mean, I, I don't think I'm doing as well as you. You know, you just took down 280000 uh in the DraftKings Hockey Championship, so I think I could be doing better, but you, you seem to be doing tremendous. Yeah, well, you know, I knew if I was going to get on lulls again, I needed to up my game, you know, lacking <laughs> Billy Maker, so... My choices were either win the hockey championship or get the dirt bike as my Onyx gift. And <laughs> yeah. I'm not really a dirt bike kind of guy, as you might have gathered. So I just figured, you know, I'll just win the championship. There you go. And I will, I'd like to think, Brian, that we only invited Nerdy on because he won, but you had, you had booked him months back. And I think Nerdy just felt the pressure of needing to get a resume builder to justify the appearance. That's that, that must have been, that must have been it. I honestly, I didn't even know you played hockey. <laughs> well, I just I just started this. So that's what's so funny. And I, I didn't mean to tilt anyone, but it's like I'm, I'm not even sure I'm that that great at hockey. Like it's, this is my first season playing. And the reason I got into it is partly I was looking for new games. But my VIP, my VIP host said, hey, you know, the, the hockey final is in Denver this year. And I'm you know, I live 10 miles away. So I'm like, oh, I'll try to get some seats. You know, maybe I get in and, and I get to bring some friends. And I won three seats. So I got to bring my cousin and his wife and my wife and my wife's two friends. So it was pretty fun. I, I got very lucky to win, of course. You have to in these things. And uh, But, I, you know, I, I'm not even convinced my hockey stuff is is that great. I think it's it's okay, but it, it has holes in it. But it's kind of ironic, you know, I've, I've been to a <clears throat> a baseball final and a golf final also. I think my stuff is quite a bit stronger in those, and I didn't get anywhere. So, you know, go figure. Were you grinding the regular season? Like, yeah, some of it, like half of it. Like, um, it's very for people who don't play. It's very similar to baseball because um, you've got correlation between skaters and then negative correlation with the goalie. Um, but it's a little bit messier because things do change a fair bit before games lock like lines change injuries are not that rare and it matters so it's sort of a higher maintenance version of baseball with smaller prize pools so <laughs> that's why that's why i stopped playing it yeah it was yeah. it was it was easily beatable when everything was easily beatable so uh -huh. i'd be like i'll just throw this in if the line changes the line changes i don't care that like it affect you know 15% of my lineups maybe and I just catch the goalies, make sure you got your starting goalies in. That's about all I, I would do. With And then just play it like a simple correlated strategy. And back then you could still win a little bit. But then eventually it got too hard. And I'm like, I can't concentrate on NBA and this. And the prize pools kept getting smaller. I'm just like, not worth well, that's it. A, the thing that was funny is this year they did the NBA final and the hockey final at the same hotel on the same weekend. And – there was nobody who was in both. And I think you just said, why? Like if you're grinding NBA, like you can't, you can't do hockey. <laughs> you can't do it. But, um, so you kind of have to pick one or the other. Um, do, do you, is there an element for you like where you truly enjoy it? Or is it just, I, I think there's an edge here and my ROI can actually be justified by the, the time commitment. It's both. I, I, I wouldn't go after a game that was a slog uh, just to get EV. Like, I like taking on new games and figuring stuff out. So, and also just at a meta level, when I when I take on a new game like hockey, like, even if I decide never to play hockey again, like, there are things I learn along the way and, and processes I develop that can help me in other things. 
something very similar happened with with MMA late swap, which we could talk about, <laughs> um, where I developed a whole thing for MMA late swap, which I thought was extremely strong to the point where I told my my wife and kid, I'm like, you know, I'm going to be doing work on Saturdays as much as I, as I possibly can. And I'll, you know, I'll do less on other nights to make up for it because I thought there was just such a huge edge for me there. <clears throat> and uh, the week after I had that conversation, they they switched it back. Right. So but I don't consider that wasted time because some of what I wrote might be useful for other other contexts. So. And it was fun. I think I find the process of writing the software is the fun part for me, like um, mm. trying to figure stuff out. The actual execution and sweating is less fun for me. Uh, <laughs> so, Is that the same for you, Brian, building out the processes? Is that what gets the The execution, yeah, isn't really that fun. The uh, like the hour before lock or the hour after <laughs> lock, that's because yeah. it's um, – it's like a lot of pressure and you're trying to pay attention to like what's going on what's happening. What are the changes I need to make and not screw it up? Make sure yeah. all the dots are lined up. Yeah. There's nothing fun about that. I, uh, yeah. It's not really it's, fun. It's all like negative. It, it's all when something is a surprise, it's always a negative surprise. It's like, shit. I, you know, I forgot to remove a guy who was out from my spreadsheet. Yeah. Oh week. yeah. Uh, I did that like, the other day was, uh, I didn't uh, change games to locked that were locked. Uh, and I'm like, uh -huh. why is this not fucking working? And then I had to go back to FC and just get some lineups in. And then afterwards, I'm like, oh my god, I didn't, I didn't change these games to locked. That's so it yeah. broke the whole thing. Well, and I imagine too at Element, like you know, sometimes it's just nice to have like a sanity check on stuff. And I feel like if you don't know the sport like super super well, like if I see an NFL projection or like I have. 80% of a guy like I'm gonna be like no that's weird but if I'm playing one of these sports I know nothing about like if I am playing MMA like and I have 60% of someone I'm like I don't know it seems fine like how like I bet it's hard too when you have the process set up to actually be able to pull back and be like oh something might be off here and I don't know what input is actually skewing this no that's right and I've actually spent a fair amount of time I should spend a lot more uh addressing exactly what you described like sprinkling on sanity checks that are like are you aware this guy is projected for 10x salary today? You know, are you sure that's right? You know, or sometimes depending on the sport, I'll pull from multiple projection sources and mix with my own. And if like there's a huge discrepancy, I'll try and flag those. Like a big thing will appear in my output. Um, it's like warning, this guy is like 50% off from this other projection, you know, and then I can try and correct it. But it's never perfect. It's, it's sort of like whack-a-mole just trying to get rid of the most egregious and costly mistakes that occur with regularity. And then everything else is just sort of like, you know, being flexible as, as it goes. Right. How, how was your ROI in hockey before winning the championship? I assume you were having a, a profitable year. Actually, no. So it's funny that I started when I first started it, it looked, my stuff looked really good at the beginning. And then as it went on, it was clear that it wasn't that good. And I kept making a lot of improvements and changes. So um, if I hadn't entered any live finals uh, ticket things, I would be a little bit negative, actually. Okay. So all my EV came from the tickets and the final itself. But um, what What's your kind of general strategy for live final qualifiers? Do you... And are everything specific sports, wait for a little, wait for a little overlay? Well, so I, I was thinking about this and the thing about live finals is you take a sport like DFS, which is already volatile as shit, and then you just ramp up the variance even more by having a, a multi-stage tournament where you can actually win a lot early and get less money than you put in. So it's an extremely risky dollar move. So my general philosophy is if I'm doing well in a sport, I will add, I will start playing the qualifiers, but it's sort of like the first thing I remove if I'm not running well. So like I'm not doing particularly great in golf so far, so I'm not entering, entering the qualifiers right now, but that could change if I started to do well there. It's just, I think part of it is just, it's just bankroll management. It's just like the most volatile kind of contest. So, that's the first thing I'm going to remove 
if I'm not running well, but also it's just like psychologically, it's like, I, I want to be really sure I have an, more than any other kind of contest. I want to be pretty confident in my process if I'm going to play live finals, because it's just such a volatile sucker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. The the uh, the other thing is like you have to like enjoy travel and stuff like that. I think because that's like kind of baked into the prize the prize pool. Right. Um, so I think you what I do is like if there's looks like it might overlay and I'm like oh okay I kind of just randomly enter them. I don't really yeah. enter them that frequently. What's this say here? I can't read it. I was reading. Uh, I pulled up Nerdy's uh, tweet. Oh, yeah. Post hoc analysis, averaging out the randomness in my lineup oh, selection right. process. I had around a six point one percent chance of selecting the winning lineup with three entries. My average total ROI was minus two percent. It's good to be lucky. Yeah, I mean, they, these. I'm just, the reason I post it, and I'm, I'm my Twitter game's not very good. Like, I, I'm sort of too vague and never give enough details, and then everyone gets confused. Um, but. Uh, the point is that like there's so much variance when you get to the final. I, I sort of think of these live finals very much like a multi-day poker tournament where like early in the early stages, there's quite a few bad players and everyone's just trying to hoover up all that EV, right, from the bad players. But then you get to day three or day four, almost all of that EV is gone. And I feel like it just has to be the same way in, in fantasy qualifiers where winning the ticket is where all the EV is. But once you get to the final, even if you're like elite, it's you probably don't have that much of an edge on the field. There just aren't that many terrible lineups. Most of the players there are at least decent, if not very strong. So, You know, another reservation I've always, not always had, but had that I think people should consider is, do you play small fields? Like pretty small, hundred man, fifty man, whatever. How I don't know how many were in the hockey one, but because 40. if you forty, there you go. Because if you're playing fifteen thousand, a hundred thousand man GPPs, and that's what you have your entire process set up for, and you get a ticket, you know you don't know. You know you're going to be playing forty against the best players too. Do you have a strategy for that? Right. That you should at least consider when entering those live finals. I used to like almost never enter them before, but oh. now it's kind of more just like I'll enter a few and try to see if I can get lucky. And it's more about really about just trying to get lucky and be the champion for that year. <laughs> it's like, That's right. Yeah. I mean, what do you, which ones do you, you do basketball? I did, I did baseball, basketball. I made last, the baseball. last few seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I just started entering the PGA ones too. I didn't even know they had one. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'll throw yeah. One yeah, ironically, I, so golf, you know, when you're talking about golf main slates, like, I, I'm like, I'm pretty close. I'm just barely above break-in even on those. And I think the one exception might actually be the qualifier contest. Like, the big qualifiers for golf, I think, are actually pretty plus EV um, be, because I, I guess enough people are reaching for them and they're they're essentially winner take all, which is, is it does weird things to your strategy too. So, mm -hmm. but I agree, small field, like all of my process scales with contest size. So I have that, although I did have to make some changes for this one because I had three tickets out of 40, which was the most you could have. And that's such a huge percentage of the field that I was like, I have to, I have to tweak my process so that I have minimal correlation between my own lineups hmm. like because just like you don't want to correlate with someone else if you make up a huge portion of the field you want to be damn sure you don't correlate with yourself either so i actually coded up the day of the final some software just to like do that piece which is something i should have done a long time ago but like if you were doing 150 max and you have like a diverse set like you don't have to think about it it's just going to happen automatically right? yeah well you you probably could make that even better too, yeah. um, but I agree. But it's weird to have seven and a half percent of the field. Like you, you can never do that except in this weird circumstance like this. Right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I like the, to. Uh, oh no, go ahead. I like to think the uh, that kind of like portfolio management idea during the beginning of the football season, Pete. Like in Pete's. Pete's world, like I think people were kind of saying, oh, it doesn't exist, like for best ball and stuff like that. 
And I'm like, no, it certainly, it certainly does exist. And like a good way to kind of think of that is that like the three man cheaters, that's uh-huh. really kind yeah. of portfolio management strategy to take advantage. Yeah. It's exactly. So it's like, if, if that's true and you believe that, then you have to believe it for all the other th- examples too. Yeah. Imagine you could, you could enter two out of the three entries and <laughs> three. I mean, that's what they're doing basically when they're right. cheating, right? Right. And, and that's why it's such a huge advantage, right? So, uh, yeah, it's just blatantly obvious in that case, but it applies to a lesser degree in uh, whatever the small fields, the large fields, the 150, three max, 20 max. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think it's. The, uh, go ahead, Pete. No, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go. Well, I was just going to say my intuition is right around. Like, I, I basically don't worry about it. I, I did take a look to see if I could find anything weird. In one sport, I won't mention a small, small field, like 10 mans, 15 mans, eight mans. Didn't find anything obvious. Doesn't mean it wasn't happening. But um, I think right around 40 entries, I'm not worried at all anymore. I think I think that the, the benefit goes down, obviously, the more entries there are. And also, there's just more eyes on it. Like, it would become obvious more quickly also, I feel like. Um, if, if there's a lot of smart people in these high stakes, I think I think we would know if there's something explicit. Mm. That's that's yeah. what I hope. I'm really just talking more about uh, you know full field, twenty max, three max, hundred and fifty max, and generally how what do you put it? You know how are you putting those one fifty in or whatever? Even if you can't gain an edge through some sort of portfolio manipulation, a lot of times you can minimize risk with sure. very little to no uh, cost to your EV. So why not Why not do it? And it might sure. even be giving you an edge, who knows? But um, I don't think people are doing that at all, like, or very rarely. No, I, like, it seems like such a, like, how do you get there? Like, that's how I'm going to get at, like, I feel like there are so many other ways that that kind of a person would get an edge first before they, you know what I mean? Uh, like the advantage of having 300 lineups versus 150, I think would come down entirely to the fact that you think your lineups are plus EV and you want to play a lot more of them. Right. I think, yeah, I, th- I think we're talking past each other. Cause you're talking about like two players playing together. I'm, oh. I'm past that. I'm talking about just you as a non-cheating player oh, should okay. still yeah. think about portfolio management sure. and your inner line, which start your, your, your original point, inner line of correlation and, and right. things like that. Um, like I think that becomes TV. more and more and more important the more exploitative of a style you have because, like, if you I like I have a fire hose of lineups that all are totally different from each other. So, like, I've actually done the done a little work. Like, what would it look like if I applied some diversity filter over the top and it was almost identical? Like, it was almost no difference. But if you're somebody who's like. Yeah. I want to play these three teams out of 30 and just really hammer them. Then I could totally see yeah. what you're saying be, being worth looking at because you want to really be careful how you construct those. Right? That's a good point. I, I, I think it kind of goes without saying though, because everyone's playing exploitively, like, except yeah, but it's like, maybe... <laughs> well, it's a question of degree too. Like if you're really hammering your takes, I guess is another way of putting it. Like, and there are players like this who I think are quite good that just like balls to the wall on a few takes when you look yeah. at the lineup set. And you're like, yeah, in that case, I would absolutely be spending time thinking about exactly what you're talking about. Like, how do I make these highly concentrated lineups as non-correlated as possible? I would, and I think if you're using an optimizer, you're like by definition playing exploitively. If you're using just uh-huh. optimizer and someone's and someone's projections, and which is which is kind of like the the age old argument of like player pool size, kind of. I'm trying to think of like 2015 DFS talking points, and so like the guys would just play like a small player pool, and then they'd have 100 percent of one guy and 90 yes. percent of another guy. They'd have no uniques, you know, or anything like that, making their lineups different. And they'd be like, no, if you have an edge. You push it, and that, that kind of stuff, and it's sure. like no, no, not exactly. I, I, I don't think. And then, like, they would be at the top of the leaderboards when they win. They take first, third, seventh, 
12, 15, you know, and have a monster day. They're like, see, when it pays, when it works, it really works. Well, you see this in golf sometimes where people just pick like 16 guys yeah. and mix and match. And when you go off, boy, do you really go off, right? Those dudes yeah, but clean it, up. It's so top-heavy, it seems oh like God, that's a yeah. mistake. It seems you well, need a gigundo bankroll to do it that way, I think. Yeah. Brian, I was going to ask you how you think about that portfolio portfolio management idea. Also would say like a single slate of DFS exposure. Because one thing you've talked about is you run your stuff and say you have like a couple guys you have like 1% of and 2% of and how you would often like chop that off being like, if this guy hits my larger portfolio of lineups probably isn't going to hit anyways. But couldn't you make the argument that if that was more of an intentional 1%, 2% that was like, you know, directly like not correlated with your heavy exposures that that could be helping you from a portfolio management perspective um well my my advice was then maybe i can figure out the answer to that specific question but my advice was if you're doing like at, like like a optimizer and you style and you know approach to dfs and you end up with some one percenters at the end and so like whatever like lebron is owned at 12 percent. let's just say it's lebron you have one lineup of your 150 I think it's fine if you're using that strategy, just cut them off, cut them off and add another lineup. And if you have like yeah. four or five of those guys, just cut them off and, and, and just shrink, uh, shrink your player pool. But like the way I do it, which is like more the bottom up approach, there's, there might, there's probably a reason. I don't know why that that one line lineup, LeBron lineup is worth entering. That's how I kind of see it. So I leave it. So you might see one percenters in my player pool, but for some and golf's so crazy, like maybe forget about golf. But like I'm thinking more NBA here. Hmm. But for someone using FC, cut it off. And now so you're saying like, wouldn't that one percent add to this kind of whole inner you know, negative negative inner lineup correlation portfolio strategy? And so like kind of, I guess, maybe, but like it's it's hard. I think it's easier in baseball because it's so obvious, like a pitcher versus the stack of a, the team it's facing. Yeah. And so you could build some, comp, you know, way less risky one, uh, portfolios in yeah. baseball than in NBA, but NBA still has some correlation and they all have some correlation in the, in the game DFS because we're playing against each other, you know, and like nerdy might have a lot of them and a bunch of other guys might have a lot of them. And, and so like this lineup will go up when this lineup goes down just because, of the nature of DFS and yeah, the price pool. I have, there's a funny way in which other people's increased variance style of play increases my variance too. So sometimes, you know, there'll be a lobby full of $200 satellites. Like it's like $176 and the prize is a $2,000 ticket to like the major golf, let's say. Okay. So there's like 10 of these and they're like 14 mans or something. So like I'll enter all 10 of them and I'll run my random selection part separately on each one. So I'll have a different lineup in each one, but then the guy who wins ran the same lineup in all of them. So it doesn't freaking matter how diverse I was because he crushed it and he crushed it in all of them. Right. So right. I had zero chance to win. It didn't matter what I did. Right. Um, yeah. Cause he got to a lineup I was never going to get to. So, so it, it can be the case that your opponents can screw with your appearance. With your own variants, right? and, and, and we're guessing we're still guessing you know is what's going to happen what everyone else is going to do but and over time though hopefully you know your 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 uh, strategy there would like actually work out sometimes right and but, it, but you're not as diverse as you think you are i guess often because of that like if if there's a there are a bunch of competitive players who if you look at their lineups they basically run, they run a 150 set and they run basically a subset of that in each of the smaller contests. So like they run 150 max in one and then they run what they think the best are the, in the 40 max and then they take, you know, on down the line. And if they win, th there's a good chance they win all of them. And like, so I always used to tell myself, I'm, you know, I'm diversifying even in the same slate. It's different contests with different payout structures and I, different strategies for all of that. Well, that all goes out the window if, if one guy just sweeps all of them. So there's a limit to how much diversification will get you in that kind of a situation. Yeah. Definitely.
I wanted to hit uh, our guy Jacob wanted to get super in the weeds on your hockey lineup. He says, "Why did you play Burns against the opposing goalie given the negative correlation?" I, I assume this wasn't a hand built lineup, but do you uh, do you know the that thought process correct. behind this? <laughs> there, uh, the thought process is I don't have a thought process, uh, <laughs> and everything I generated comes out of some computer program I wrote. So either my process thought it wasn't a big deal. Well, it, it did, I guess. Uh, whether that's correct or not is another story. So, like, um, you know, a lot of people that I talk to in the live final, they tend to give me a little too much credit in the sense that they they hear about the way I do things and think it's all kind of magic. But the truth of the matter is, and Brick knows this, it's, it's only as good as the models, right? And for hockey, my models are pretty far from where I'd like them to be. So it could definitely be the case that that play was a mistake. Um, that would not be surprising to me. However, just, you know, random opinion, the smaller the field is, um, the less you probably care about these kinds of small correlation effects. Um, it is negatively correlated, but it's not nearly as much as baseball. Um, goalies in hockey are just like defenses in football. They're just completely random um, because you can have a goalie who has a very wins a game and has very few saves. And then you have a goalie that loses a game, but has a ton of saves and a ton of points. So it's, it's a little weird that way. Um, but the, but the long and short of it is, uh, I don't know why it did that. And it could be bad. <laughs> the, 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 I mean, the, the, the huge point you already said, it, there's a big difference between a 40 man field and a, and a fort and a, you're trying to hit a one in 40,000 lineup. Yeah. where you probably don't want any correlation. And so like at the beginning of the football season, I was getting more defense versus player uh, lineups than I wanted. Uh, like I would like be fine with like if it popped up every now and again, I'd be like, okay, maybe that's that's probably right. But it was popping up in like 10 out of the 150 or maybe even more. I can't uh -huh. remember. So uh, instead of redoing everything, I just go, Zero allow versus DVP. It takes a little longer to do it. I don't care. Zero it out, yeah. So I Just zero I'm, it out. That's pretty funny. I think for hockey, large field, like on an ordinary size slate with like seven games, like it'll it'll play a goalie against a, a skater like a couple percent of the time. So it seemed pretty close to marginal in a large field. So Burns seems like a mistake to me. I don't know. Like Burns is a high scoring <laughs> yeah. defender. I mean, this, I don't know. I'm just like, I haven't played hockey in a while, but yeah, like, I can I, understand your 3,500 guy defender against goalie and not a uh, guy who might get two goals and two assists. I don't know. I don't know either, <laughs> but I mean, it, it could be right. Yeah. But to your point too, Brian, about the, the football stuff and the defense against offense, there is a, a, a situation where when the field is going out of their way to avoid those negative correlations, like, is that offset by no one else using it? You know, like you probably yeah. know that no one else is going to run out that same pairing, which will naturally make your lineup unique. And maybe get you to combos you couldn't get to without that defense. Yeah. Right. That's whatever a thousand cheaper or something. And no one's playing. Um, I don't I, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's telling you that for a reason. But right. you can also screw up, and something might be wrong in there. And so, I know I'm missing a lot with hockey. I, I, um, I it's it's quite coarse what I have there. Um, but there's a lot. There are the things I know I'm missing, and then there's things I'm missing I don't even know I'm missing yet because <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah, it's it's just random who who wins these kind of finals. Uh, Why hockey instead of NBA if you're going to spend your nights? Worrying about because it, well, it's still more civilized than NBA. Um, <laughs> it's 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 less time usually. There's less playable slates per week in hockey than in basketball, so it's sort of naturally limiting just how much of a gen I want to be. But um, I also thought it was the fact that it had similarities to best to baseball intrigued me, which is why yeah. Let's have a look at this. I, I played once this year. The one uh -huh. day there was no other sports except hockey. I won 2K, and I'm done. That's on Plus EV uh, hockey player this year. Wow. Dine and dashed it. Yeah. What, uh, 
Nuri, what was the actual live sweat experience like? You said you had lots of family and uh, so, and friends there with you. Like, when did you know you had a, a shot at this? What was the environment like? Well, so I'll, I'll back it up the night before. So we we I sweated the basketball final with my cousin and his wife. They're in there. They're older than me. So um, and my cousin's wife was super into the sweat, like watching the leaderboard. She was like figuring out who won. And then it c couldn't have been scripted better for the basketball. It went into overtime and like completely changed everything. And then, so she got super into it, which was fun. Then I had to explain to them, I'm like, <laughs> whatever you see on the hockey leaderboard, it means nothing because a single goal and all seven of the people on the leaderboard will disappear and be gone from the leaderboard, perhaps never to be seen again. Because <laughs> I was like, you know, basketball, it's a game of inches. It's like a, a few points at a time, slowly climbing up, right? So I tell them this, right? And then, so I decide to run my lineups at home. Lock is at five. So I'm here at home, right up into lock, just in case. And there's no late swap. That's how they do these finals. We should talk about that in a second. But um, so I hop in the in the cab with my wife and we head over to the view party in Denver, right? So I walk in and two of my three lineups are on the leaderboard already. I think uh, one was in first and one was in sixth or something. So, you know, I give them this this talk about like, you know, it doesn't really mean anything yet. <laughs> and the, the lineup I actually won with was basically a stack of four with a bunch of one-offs. And the stack of four was in the late game. So I had no idea about those, but like, all my one-offs were doing well. And then my goalie crushed and there was only one other person with the same goalie. So I knew I had a strong lineup going into the second set of games. So there are three games started at five and there were three games that started seven and 7.30 and another 7.30, I think. So I knew I had a pretty strong contender and then uh, I stacked it well. But the thing is, it's just a huge negative sweat at that point because uh, there was someone in second who had all of my remaining players and two more, and he was down by 16 points. And there were mm -hmm. like 40 minutes of player minutes left for him. So I'm just pacing, trying not to look at the leaderboard. I go to the bathroom. I play some, you know, some bar games. I try, I try uh, top golf for a little bit. Uh, but I found it quite nerve wracking. I didn't. I don't really enjoy that that part of the game at all. <laughs> Um, especially when you're ahead early, like then it just feels like it's just a negative free roll in a way, like, uh, much better to not think you have a chance and then win. Um, but somehow I held on, but I mean, at that point I, I told, I told my, my, the people with me, I'm like, I think I'm like a favorite, but not a very big one, like maybe 60, 40, uh, to win. So. Was your four stack with a goalie or a defender? Uh, no, it had a defender in it. Defender in it think with a bunch of one-offs hmm. yeah at what point at what point in the evening did you allow yourself to like exhale and say i got this or was it not until the scoreboard said zero zero on it it was, it was i so my wife who had to do go through heroics all weekend to because of you know we have a son who's a musician and he had like multiple rehearsals she's like coming back and forth from all these events so i'm sun, sunday she's like i'm gonna come for a bit and i'm gonna go home so I waited for double zero before I texted her that I won. That was the mm -hmm. rule. <laughs> yeah. But um, at one point, it was 100% clear I was getting first or second. And then I was, I just had to have some self-talk. I'm like, it's fine. I'm like, worst case scenario, 100K. So, um, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty crazy. And really, it's, it's so many nice people come to these things. Like, the fantasy community, there's just so many good people in it. Um it's much friendlier than the poker community, I find. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if you think that's true, uh, Brian, but uh, it's it's more like the uh, the D bag quotient is, is seems lower in fantasy <laughs> than it is in poker. There's plenty of good people in poker too. It's just there's, I just I don't know. I just be hypersensitive to that. The, Maybe I don't know. I was talking to somebody there. He agreed with me. He's like, I, he thought it was because it's not so personal. Like poker, it's like I won yeah. chip from this guy. Whereas, right. you know, tournament, it doesn't, it doesn't really feel like that. You, uh, you tricked me. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. So there isn't there also probably an element too with the poker, like say the poker tournament circuit, you know, people out there, they're seeing each other all the time. They're all showing up to these same tournaments. It reminds me of like stand-ups at an open mic. It's they all see each other at the same open mic. They just want to yeah. like be in front of a crowd, but they have to listen to each other, do the same material. They're all just angry. At least with DFS, it's like you guys are all at home all the time. Yeah. And now you're coming together for the first time. And it feels more like a once a year summer camp than like your adversary that you see every week. Yeah, I think that's true too. You get you get sort of clicks and friend groups in, in the poker tournament scene. But there are some really excellent humans in the poker tournament world, but there's some scumbags too. I've never seen it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I think there's also this element of you're not in control. Uh, in poker, you really feel like you're making the decisions where like yeah. if Chris Paul has a, like a great game, yeah, I, I won, but like – I didn't make those shots. I was lucky that he had a really good game. And, you know, so you could kind of like let it go a little more. I think that's true. I think poker is a real ego test. Like people have problems around ego. That is just a crucible for that. Like mm. looking dumb in front of people, like losing to people, you know, all of that stuff pushes a lot of people's buttons to be sure. And, yeah. And you can just sort of hide in fantasy, right? Just Yeah. Uh, that might just be a human uh, test. I mean, who wants yeah, to look bad in front of people? That's true. But, uh, yeah. Uh, Pete here wants to know what is your uh, your poker history background? I can't remember if we talked about this last time you were on the show or not. Not much. Uh, almost all of the interesting poker stuff I've done is is writing poker software, um, mm. so writing pro poker tools, and I've done a lot of custom work for for some pros. Um, some of it public, some of it not. Um, as a player, I played small stakes forever. Like, you know, this is in the 2000s, but like sit down and, you know, buy in for a couple hundred bucks kind of stuff. Uh, when I moved out here uh, in Colorado, I went to the casino to look for a game. And then I saw, I, by this point, I had spent enough time working for a lot of pros in various projects that I kind of learned a fair bit of stuff by osmosis, but I never play at an elite level. But um, I looked at this 3060 limit holder game. I'm like, this game doesn't look too tough. And um, so I play the, I play 3060 limit about once a month. Uh, I'll be playing this weekend because both my wife and my son will be out of town. Um, so I'm going to be, be at the tables for, for quite a bit. Mm. This week. What yeah. is that Blackhawk or where do you go? Yeah, and Blackhawks about forty minutes from my house, so not too limit just, poker just enough to keep me out of trouble. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I'd rather watch paint dry. I think than play <laughs> limit poker. Oh, I think no limit is worse. It's no limit live is so dull. I find uh, uh, at least yeah. limit, you get tons of hands in it so quick. Yeah, um, I'm not going to defend li no limit either, but <laughs> I think no limit what tournament is better. What what is like what is nerdy like at the thirty sixty limit? Are are you like sucking back uh you know adult beverages? Are you just like dialed in? Are you trying to soul read your opponents? Are you just like a robot just getting in as many hands? Like what is that experience like for you? Uh, I do drink a fair bit at the table. Um, I try to have <laughs> I try to have fun. I probably bore people when I talk too much. Uh, I'm that guy probably a little too often. I would never have guessed you to be like a a chatterbox at the table i can be but i don't know i i fun table i like you know i'm not playing i'm not going out to play to make money right that's not my motivation for playing mm. but when i play i'm trying to win as much as i can if that makes sense you know what i'm yeah. saying so i'm not i'm not table selecting like but when i'm in the game i'm trying to win with all the tools at my disposal Right. Mm -hmm. So I'll sit down in a shitty game that's got like six good regulars, two pros and one mediocre person um, and play, even though I'm probably losing to the rake. Um, but um, yeah, I, I find the game fun. Um, I'm not trying to do soul reads on people. I'm more trying not to give off reads myself more than anything else. Uh, more defensive that way. Um, what's what's the lifestyle of a 3060 limit poker pro? Live yeah. poker pro. What do they make like thirty-seven thousand a year? You know, uh, I haven't really thought about it. Um, I assume they're doing multiple things because the plus I the thing is, so. 
we recently changed the rules in Colorado. So it used to be the max bet in any casino game was $100, period, which meant that 5,100 limit was the biggest game and no limit was basically capped or it just got stupid, right? Um, if one, two, maybe. Right. Um, so I think we did one, two, and two, five. So they got rid of that law. And so all these big no limit games are starting. There's a 10 and 25 game fairly regularly. So most of the limit action has dried up quite a bit. So people what? don't remember back in the, uh, the early days of poker, that's all you could play was limit. That's yeah. all they had with the boats. And, and, and it, man, it was brutal. You know, I, the guy I always hated was the guy wearing sunglasses, right? In a 10, you know, a five ten limit hold'em game, 10, 20, because there was barely any stakes higher than that around here. And, uh, and they would try to get reads. They try to get reads off you, bluffing, right? Bluff reads in limit five, 10, 10, 20, you know, just like eyeing you up, right? Like the early, early ESPN yeah. days. It's like, we're not playing big bet poker fucker. Just call, hurry up. I, I yeah. had the same thing because when in college, my buddies and I would go to the Indian casinos around San Diego in the main, the biggest game, most action was three, six limit. And we, you know, we, I'd sit down with 20 big blinds. Like the game was bigger than what my bankroll as a freshman in college would allow for, but sure. it was just so fucking fun. Like three, six felt like the thrill of no limit when you're playing outside of your bankroll. It was oh, still fun. Sure. Yeah. 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 That's funny. I, sometimes I play a little too slow, but that's like, when I'm like, hey, am I giving up timing tells? But but in that case, it's like I count to three and then act. It's like, <laughs> okay, like yeah, that's, what, that's like about as much as I'm comfortable stalling without being a jerk in uh, limit. What, what what is it? What is it about you? You specifically mentioned this thirty sixty game of you thinking there was an edge there. What like what yeah. what about that game uh, stood out to you? Oh, it's, it's very simple. Limit hold'em is so simple. Uh, almost all the edge comes from people playing too many hands pre-flop. That's it. Um, there's so many hands so quickly. It's very hard to overcome that that um, mistake. It's it's really most of it. Um, they're they're playing. Most of those players who are bad are also calling stations. And being a calling station is actually not much of a mistake. When the pots are big. And, and limit, right? It's it's if it is a mistake, it's usually a small one. So all of their mistakes are concentrated in just getting too much money in early. So that's why that's why the the spending time on tells is so dumb because the yeah. mistake you make by reading someone wrong, you blow a huge pot proportional to the small limit to call at that point. It's just yes. so dumb. Just wait, you're wasting everyone's time, fella. I've had this happen many times, being sort of older and and boring looking where people underestimate my ability to make a bluff. So yeah. if I see somebody who I don't recognize, I up my bluff frequency. People mm -hmm. I play with before know that I'm not a tight, passive old white dude. Um, but people who don't know me might assume that. So I, I have taken advantage of that a few times. How, how does Skolansky's pre-flop limit rank uh, uh, by position um, whatever rankings, you know, you should play this from here and this from here. How do they hold up? I haven't looked in a long time. I can tell you in broad strokes what's changed. If you look at the computer outputs, um, I actually looked at my own outputs. Um, uh, if you look at multi-way limit hold'em outputs, they play uh, less, a little less high card strength and a little more suited hands, very broadly speaking. So like if a position used to, used to say play 10-8 offsuit, it might get rid of that hand, but it might add you know, like 8-7 suited and 7-6 yeah. suited. That's sort of the very rough trend from the solvers. Mm. Just, Which is what everyone kind of thought anyways. Yeah, it's pretty close. I mean, the, pro the thing is, you know, you could sit down at one of these games having mastered books written 15 years ago and be a favorite. You don't need the latest, greatest to be good at these games. So. Mm, but then you have to talk to them and be around yeah. them. You have to like people, Brian. Watch them eye you up for bluffs. Yeah. It's funny because 
you two, like on paper, you would think would be pretty similar DFS Simbros, but you know, dirty going to live finals, sweating the games, going to play live action poker. I mean, these are all things that Brian uh, would absolutely hate to do. <laughs> depends, depends on the company. I'm, yeah. I'm still disappointed in you, Brian. Like, why don't you got to go out to the NBA? Basketball you should go. You could have gotten drinks with Nerdy. You guys could have had a nice night. I tweeted out, I refuse to contribute to global warming by taking a plane <laughs> to that final live final. Okay. Sure. Otherwise, I would have. I'm sorry. It's just, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I just care that much more than you guys. Okay. Yeah. I we do got to give a shout out to Petty Theft for taking down yeah, uh, the DraftKings Championship. Another cool Millie. That guy, talk about a guy who earns his keep on this show. My God, what a heater. Amazing. Amazing. And, and in that way, like I, I, I wasn't following very closely, but I don't think he was even in the top seven before the overtime hit. I think, I think I have that right. So needed the overtime to happen. I think. Um, I stopped watching when I was, uh, when I was personally out of it. Fair enough. Yeah. It was really loud in the, in the area when the overtime became, you know, gonna... believe it or not, Raging Philip too has had. I know he didn't win the million there, but he's just had a monster, monster year. The, the, he wins every other day. It's amazing. Oh, it's, look! It's the mystery man Oxenduck in third there. That's right. He did respond to me the other day. Actually, I DM'd oh, him to see if he wanted to come on. He said, "What was what was the response? Fuck off." He it, it was like <laughs> in that that. Um, that alien squid language, you know, where he, he put his hands on the glass. Yeah, couldn't understand <laughs> it. I'm like, I guess that's a no. Yeah. Uh, I am noticing a theme between our two, you know, live final winners and their tweets. They both say they got lucky. Uh, what, what is it with you guys say? You got lucky when you win these big prizes. Well, I think that's targeted at people who maybe don't live in this space like we do, but are enthusiasts and maybe discouraged. Like, I mean, we all know like what happens in one contest is just completely freaking random. Like it, it means like nothing. It means totally nothing at all. <laughs> it's, it's what happens over many slates that matters. And uh, it's, it's just, I, it's, I was hoping that would be encouraging uh, to people. Who are <laughs> <laughs> See, um, I think this is, I understand why you guys do it. But I will tell you, for the average person who doesn't win a lot of DFS, it's the equivalent of when the hot chick says, I'm such a nerd. I, <laughs> it's, it's very so I got lucky. I was going to say, yeah. The the reason, no, I don't think they're a nerd. Yeah. I, I will say, I think, I think my process, my general process is very strong. I, I'm not claiming otherwise. But what happens <laughs> in any one slate really is just luck. I, mean, I was going to say, I do it uh, so I appear humble. But yet, <laughs> everyone still knows. Yeah, you get credit. For <laughs> That's not really humble, what I mean. But, no, but yeah. also, you get the admiration Listen, of your peers. I'm just successful and humble. Okay, guys? Right. That's why I say it. I've revealed enough on this show your internal monologues when anyone wins at DFS other than you. And it's like this fucking luck box. How do you <laughs> yes, yeah. When you win, it's lucky. When I win, it's all skill. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's like if I see the keep saying the same names, I'm like, God damn it, this fucking guy again. So, yeah. It's not even like. If Petty, guy, if Petty didn't come on the show a hundred times, his name's starting to creep up there, Petty. I've got to tell yeah. you, you win a lot. <laughs> All right, Brian, that just settles it. When you win one of these, you know, big tournaments or live finals, your tweet needs to be, uh, it feels great to be the best and be rewarded like the best. I think <laughs> oh, something <nice>. like that. <laughs> I'll definitely tweet that. Yeah. So Pete, so Pete, the thing I've been screwing around is more up your, your alley lately. I've been, uh, putzing around in the low level golf rainmakers area. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I, I actually haven't been big into Rainmakers, but yes, the intersection of NFTs and sports, I'm, I'm always interested in it. Tell me about your exploration of it, because I, from what I've heard, that golf is the best vehicle for Rainmakers as far as the sports. Yeah, I think from a game perspective, that's exactly right, because like you can sell a bunch of cards at the beginning of the season. They're basically good the whole season. Um, the good plays, the best golfers remain the best golfers like it's not like football where it's week to week which guys you want to play and which are valuable and um i think the game is really fascinating to combine you know a collectible 
trading card market with DFS. I think that's really cool from a game perspective because now, now instead of you know lineups and ownership, it's more like what is the expected value of this lineup compared to how much it costs to assemble this lineup, mm. which is completely upends a lot of things we take for granted in DFS. Like in conventional DFS, you often hear people say, you know, in a GPP, you got to be aiming for first because so much of the money is in the top equity spots. If you're playing the min cash, you're a losing player. And that's excellent advice. But that goes out the window with something like Rainmakers. You could have a lineup that has zero shot at winning that's plus ev if it's cheap enough and a min cash is often enough right hmm. uh which is it's just completely different so i spent a few weeks putzing around in the mma version and then i did i have some golf so i'm just like slumming it in the lowest two tiers so i bought a, a whole collection of very cheap cards and i'll just be playing around with that for the foreseeable future now as a game in which you want to make serious money at, I'm more skeptical. I don't know if that's really a thing. It's a pain in the ass, first of all, to set all your lineups. There's no CSV because all of your cards have different edition numbers. They don't support that. It's like inventory management. And you're going to be playing the marketplace, trying to get cards at the right price. So I think if you're doing this to make serious money, I think it would be a gigantic pain in the ass. Um, and then there's the, the whole tax implications are also a little complicated. I don't know if you saw any of this, but uh, um, in fantasy, you, you know, you pay $100 to enter a contest, you win 200 your tax form says you want $100. Um, in Rainmakers, uh, you have two separate things. You've got your winnings from the contest, and then you've got the marketplace. And there, you, you could conceivably get a tax statement saying you want a bunch of money, even though you lost money and are going to have to figure out not tax advice, but if you're putting serious money into this, I would figure all this shit out. Um, yeah. Like before you get into it, cause it's, it's complicated actually. Um, when you're calculating like the EV of a lineup and acquiring the cards for a lineup, are you factoring in any collectible long-term value or just strictly the utility element of it in the contest this season? So what I've done so far is even simpler than that. Basically, I try to compute I compute a couple things. First, I try to figure out what the ca cards should be worth for this contest, disregarding any other value, just what they're worth in this contest. Like a contest is going to have 4,000 people. How much is, you know, uh, John Rom worth in this contest? Um, and then I've sort of been using that and combining that with other custom stuff. And then I feed it my inventory and it assembles a bunch of lineups for me. Um, but to your point, like predicting the future value of cards and how they're going to change is actually a big part of the game, especially for something like MMA, where like the number of fights is unclear and who the fighters are going to be fighting against. Like, I think if you wanted to do that at a high level, you better understand all that stuff uh, because so much of the EV is going to be like making moves based on those trades. I think it's a little less um, fiddly with golf. Like the best golfers are just more expensive and generally in the way you would expect, right? There's probably some week to week stuff, but not huge. What, what would have happened if they, I was just thinking if they had rolled this out like before live and you had like sunk all this money in what? Like DeChambeau? Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's just like they're not eligible. Like that Ouch. would have felt like a rug. For I sure. mean, that might happen. John Rahm yeah, signs with Live. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of these golf cards that they rolled out, I feel like a few of them actually had retired golfers. So you can like pull a golfer <laughs> that had literally zero zero utility, except to be burned in in the next season. There's there's something there's something about in the modern gambling. Uh, world whatever we want to call us with technology that's like a lot different than the allure of it when i was a kid that you you know more of a wild wild west you get in there you you know boots on the ground and you play a game against someone else it's more like boutique style like that where i kind of like that our kind of strategies like nerdy like won't work really and you uh -huh. just kind of have to get in there and gamble uh i kind of like that but if they did want to change it 
<laughs> a way I think they could kind of do that is I upload 150 lineups, 200 lineups, whatever, via CSV. And then each next to them, they have a buy all and how much it costs. Oh, uh-huh. that's cool. Yeah, interesting. And so I just go, oh, this this is my hundred, you know, this is my fiftieth best best lineup, and it costs fifty bucks. Buy all, and and enter, right? Uh-huh. And I just each week, and I just and it's like, okay, the top lineup costs ten grand, and the prize t- first prize is twenty five grand. Fuck that. You just go down and just select your lineups, and then that would also fuel the resale market, the marketplace. Yeah, yeah, because uh-huh. they're just buying real estate. Like, you want these? Here's the cheapest price. Click. There's your lineup for the week. Yeah, that's a really good idea. That brings up the other caveat I have in addition to the the taxes and the pain in the ass factor, if you're really trying to make money, is like DraftKings is just changing shit left and right. Like the ground is very unsteady. So that that should give give people pause as well. Um, who are really What's that? trying to trying to fire. <laughs> I just I just said this. Uh, I have a, a pet peeve word when people say, say more. And I'm going to use that right now. Say more. What do you mean? Like, you just I mean, say like, speak on that. <laughs> it's just. Can you speak more on it? You know, looking looking at what they did with Rainmakers, like they, they, it's just like they say one thing and do another in terms mm. of what their policy is when certain things happen and which sets will be released and when they'll have this, the feature and that. It's, it's all very much right. in flux. So. Well, and this is this is nothing new to like NFT gaming. I mean, like Top Shot. I mean, that's been they've been building the plane as they go I, along. Yeah. And, and, you, exactly. and like part of you wants to sympathize in that they are forging like new territory. Like this is a yeah. new game type, yeah. new experience. They're trying. They're listening to feedback. They're tweaking right. all this stuff. But on the other hand, people are sinking legitimate amount of capital yeah. into these games, assuming they're playing under one set of rules. And then the path gets deviated on a moment's notice. Yeah, this is why, among other reasons, I gave myself a pretty strict budget for all this stuff. It's sort of a you know screw around budget. Uh. <laughs> I, I thought when you said that there's these issues, I thought we were gonna get some intel from like <laughs> nerdy nerdy did did uh, you know some uh, singing gig, and it just so happened that some insider, financial insider worked at you know oversight of svb bank and all these things like hey just so you know DraftKings has their money at so-and-so bank and they're not looking too hot and we were going to get some uh like super fucking hot intel funny, right here where we all just cash out that, someone messaged me they're like do you know where DraftKings keeps their money and yeah. i'm like <laughs> like should i be worried about this i tweeted that out yeah yeah and then i looked at a holding company and you can't really see exactly what they're doing DraftKings does have a separate company where they hold all their headquarters is, is in the same building as SVB. Why this person sent me? They're like, yeah. I just saw this notice put up. <laughs> okay, it's the same person. The same person. It is. Yeah, we won't say it is. But I'm like the same I, person emailed us. Yeah. yeah. Probably on the on the PGA. Like, are are you getting any like pack rip uh, sweat equity? Like, do you get a high from opening them and no, seeing what you got? Or are no, you just I, like, ripping, I, ripping? I'm like a bottom feeder. So I bought like 200, I spent like a few grand on the absolute cheapest packs you can open. So it's yeah. just like large numbers of cheap cards for me. So I gotcha. don't have any. Is this comic right? What do you got? The last one. Do they expire? I, I think so. Yeah. I think they're playable for the year. I think that's right. And then you can claw back some tiny amount of their value through some burn mechanic. But it'll be a small percentage. You, that's you don't lose the, the NFT. No, you can keep it if you want. Okay, they just okay. won't have basically they use the pack proceeds to fuel the prize pools. And so Correct. once that money has been spent, they can't come up with liquidity to provide for tournament prizes because they would it would be a lot a losing endeavor for them that way. I I yeah. like the fact I always thought like that these cards, who knows, eventually you can get lucky and this card's worth ten grand ten years from now or something. Like oh. as a collectible. I always thought like that would be the cool thing. And like maybe you could only play these cards, legacy cards from these years in new tournaments and stuff like that. I think they're uh, doing like, some legacy something for football, I think. I, I was not in the football streets at all, so I might be wrong about that. 
I think for that to happen long term, like you'd need a few things to happen. You'd need one Rainmakers to become like the most popular fantasy game like out there. And you would need DraftKings to continue to devote some resources to rewarding legacy sets to where people have that in their head. Oh, I want to continue to hold on with this because DraftKings might have a really special contest for this eventually. Yeah, I'd be surprised, but I, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, nerdy. It's always great uh, catching up with you around the uh, the Lowell streets, and uh, sounds like you're having a nice little uh, spring here, and uh, you know, dabbling in everything. Thirty sixty. Uh, yeah. Limit Hold'em. Rainmakers. I mean, I'm what a easily bored. <laughs> easily bored. <I> <laughs> It's uh, it seems though you do have the gambling gene within you, not just stats. Here, here's one for you. What as a as a musician, uh, what were your thoughts on Tar? Uh, that feels like that oh, movie would have been right up your alley. I, I thought it was tremendous. I I tell Ooh. you, I so I went to see that with my wife, who is a full time professional music, musician, and um, Kate Blanchett is unbelievable in this movie. Yeah. That is, you know. Anytime you see a movie in your area of expertise, it's usually there's going to be some cringy moments, you know, right. where they don't quite get it right. She's amazingly good at, like, there were times I legitimately thought I was looking at a conductor. I, it, the art peeks through a couple little subtle places, but I thought it was an incredible, just on that level, it was amazing to see how good of a job she did in the whole cast with that. And I thought I thought it was a really good movie, uh, very complicated um, social commentary in there about um, a lot. I thought it was really, really good. Did you see it? I did. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. a little bloated for how long, but Kate Blanchett was just incredible in it. Yeah, just a, it's a beast. Uh, unbelievable. Well, I was curious about your thought for the, what you just said too. like how yeah. close to the reality of that world was it? It sounds like they nailed it. Well, I mean, I've seen plenty of movies featuring musicians and like sometimes you're like, couldn't they have hired a consultant for like just like a half an hour to yeah. like show them how to how to move more? You know, you see stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But um, plus she did all the language stuff. I guess this was the first time she'd spoken German at all. It's crazy. I mean, she didn't need to be a native speaker, but I thought that was super impressive as well. Um, I just... The fluency of her performances was something else. Yeah. Highly recommend. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Brian, anything else on your neck of the woods? Didn't get time to, to touch on March Madness here, but uh, what's going no. on? Well, I don't know if we have any time left, but the uh, sports handle, you guys know the website sports handle. They talk about sports betting and stuff. They um, It's more sports betting specific than DFS. They like have like legislative updates in your state, you know those like a map of all the like you guys probably have went there over. Anyways, the uh, one of the writers there watched our show last week and DM me and they write an article about a topic last week. Yeah, and so I so he goes, "Can I talk to you?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure." And then like after five minutes, I'm like, "Wait a second, I need content on my channel." I'm like, "Can we record our conversation just so I have uh, so I can put this up on my YouTube channel?" And he agreed. And cool. so we, we chatted for an hour, and he's going to write an article in the next couple of days. And uh, and then I'm going to put it on YouTube. Awesome. awesome. We'll, uh, we'll be uh, looking forward to that. Yeah, for people who uh, didn't watch last week, we had uh, Captain Jack uh, Andrews from Unabated and uh, had like a debate about kind of like the – you know, some of the morals and legislative issues around, you know, problem gaming and, and how that should be handled um, or yeah. not handled uh, on the state level. So definitely check that out. Did you have any thoughts on that conversation, Nerdy? I don't know if you got to catch it. I'd be commenting as a rank amateur. I mean, it's, it's interesting to me. Um, the issue of problem gambling on a personal level, like, I could convince myself like it's not my problem. And I think that's mostly right. But also every once in a while, I'll throw a little bit of money at a charity that helps uh, with addiction issues. Um, because, you know, it's impossible in fantasy to know who you're playing against and what small, which small percentage of players you I'd rather not take their money from them. So it's just a small gesture, I guess. Maybe it's just guilt reduction. I don't know. And I'm, I'm kidding myself, but I'll throw a few hundred bucks uh, in that direction um most of my charity money is in other things but a little bit 
Um, yeah. Uh, I only gain. Uh, I only donate to pro addiction charities, so I counteract your charitable giving. So don't feel too we good. Should, we should just both stop what we're doing and pocket the money then. Exactly. There. That's a, that's what I'm saying. Uh, well, yeah. Well, everyone, stay tuned for uh, Lowell's glow up in the, in this upcoming article. Appreciate all of you hanging out in the chat. Uh, you can, Brian, do we have any, uh, MMA ownership projection stuff coming this weekend on oh, yeah.com Yeah, I will be extremely hungover. I'm having people <laughs> over for March Madness tomorrow oh, wow. and, uh, Ooh. they're coming over at 11 AM. Oh my God. That's an early start. That's a real <laughs> and, early start. and lock is at noon. Uh, so if there's a slate I'm going to miss, it would be this one. But I mean, I usually wake up at like 7 a.m. So I'm assuming I can still wake up at 9 or something. And All right. Oh this, but the, sweat, the sweat is on. Um, Maybe I'll I do appreciate- No. All right. All right. We'll, we'll see what Brian can pull yeah. together in his uh, in his hungover state. But everyone follow Nerdy Tenor on Twitter. Check uh, out the audio feed. We'll get that up as usual after the show. And we will be back as usual every single Thursday afternoon at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Have a lovely week. Enjoy the tournament. We'll see you guys next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.